That's not how life works. Life is a catastrophe and a tapestry of beautiful messes and accidents, serendipities that bring you to who you are, the beautiful mess that makes life worth living, the surprises of all. And I want to keep that in my life, at least the magic of the universe. You know, not really know for sure, but know that event, whatever happens, I can trust myself because I, again, I trust myself and I have made a habit of always being comfortable with the uncomfortable. But that took me a few years. Right. And then a lot of people are how to understand it's not that easy to just say, hey, I flip a switch. I can just be uncomfortable about the situation logically and turn around, just be comfortable. It's not something we can just all do. And that's something we rather you experience or train your brain to do that. And that's why like, I talk a lot on how do we neuromodulate, right? Like you have different tools from anything from sensory highlighting, shutting down your prefrontal cortex of going crazy thought, right? Hey there, my friend. Welcome to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina. I am a cardiothoracic surgery PA with a background in public health and neuroscience. I'm also your peak performance coach. I had to say no to working extreme long hours where I was always on call and feeling exhausted, underappreciated, and undervalued, and said, heck yes, to a life and career that elevates my energy and passion without compromising my health and sanity. Now, I'm among the mission to support ambitious healthcare professional like you with a demanding career to become a confident leader who are living purposefully and fulfilled to truly be both a powerhouse in your career and a passionate person in life. Let's start our journey today. Hi, everyone. This is Sabrina, your host for the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode. And today we have Dr. Calvin Sun with us. I'm so excited for him to be here with all of you because the two of us kind of clicked on a different way and kind of just start chatting about life in medicine and how to get here the traditional way of not just, okay, our parents might have said something, but how do we derive into the point we're at right now? And it's not all about medicine. It's about life more and specific for him. He's currently practicing as attending physician and clinical assistant professor in emergency medicine. And he is also a public speaker, a photographer, activist, choreographer, entrepreneur in New York City. Now, I grew up in that area, but now I have moved. So he graduated from Columbia University and SUNY Down State College of Medicine. And he was the vice president and the president back in his days. And he used to also host MTVU's a hit show, The Freshman, for four years. And he's an award-winning independent filmmaker known for his Asian-American stereotypes and female body images, which is very interesting. We can talk a little bit more, dive deep. And he has been all over. Recently, he has been especially on his Instagram, talking about COVID, traveling even when you have COVID. And he's also the founder and CEO of that platform, which is called Moonsoon Diary. And it's 
being featured on BBC News, ABC News, MSNBC, TED, National Geographic, and USA Today. So I'm sure all of you guys will want to check out his platform there. And since he completed his residency in uh, Jacoby Medical Center back in 2018, where he served as director of resident wellness, he's very much involved in the Asian community and medicine and just student growth and wellness. Now he has been taking his own schedule on hand, doing more things of knowing when he wanted to work and when he doesn't, what to play around and do all these fun stuff. So I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you for having me, Sabrina. Yeah, I know there's so much that we can talk about, about what you do, how you are inspiring other healthcare professionals versus the Asian community. So tell me a little bit about that journey. How did it all kind of formed into okay, I want this, I want that. And now I have a more of a clarity of these things are my core thing. And then these things are what I enjoy. And then it really something that I'm really good at as well. It really wasn't something that I planned out. Actually, it was not at all. Absolutely not anything I planned out. It literally just picked me and I just followed the signs. If anything, I'm a guy that gets bored really easily and I commit to the present. I don't even know what I'm doing five minutes from now. I don't know what we're even going to talk about five minutes from now. And that's okay. To be comfortable with being uncomfortable is a habit that I derived. If there was something that happened in my life that pushed me on this path was a childhood of trauma and early losses. Um, my dad died when I was pretty young. I was 18, 19 years old, um, like right in the cusp where like we had a, you know, a life together. And then he left really suddenly after an argument that we had and he got on a treadmill, had a heart attack and then suddenly died. And then a few weeks later, my mom had Parkinson or was formally diagnosed with Parkinson. So she would, you know, we're trying to take care of her. And then my girlfriend at the time broke, with, broke up with me right after my dad's funeral. Uh, it was the worst and what I would have to reframe the best summer of my life. The best being that it was a summer where I literally just woke up and realized that, you know, it's not why me, why me, why me when things happen, when things like that happen, but really why not me? What makes me so special that I'm going to get away with it? nothing. I can't assume or be entitled to the belief that life will be normal for me or for anyone for that matter. And therefore, instead of letting things happen and just being unprepared, uh, it was a, a learning le lesson where I was, I rather run towards the fire. At least I can control for it. At least I accept that bad things will always happen or traumatic things will always happen. At least I can be in control of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, to reframe it anytime something like that happened so that it was the worst summer of my life. But I choose to worship in the belief that it was also the best summer of my life when I realized that I you know, had to live for myself and commit to the present. And it can't put all my eggs in one basket, believing that something in the future will, will turn out well for me. I can't assume that. And the, thing, the only thing I can assume is what we can do right now and make the most out of this moment that we have together. And that includes this Facebook Live and this conversation. Right. A lot of time it is that the sabotaging tendency of us feeling like we have to be in control for us to feel better about our future. Somehow we wanted to predict that. So we stay in that cocoon instead of feeling exactly what you have said. Some stuff we can't control. It is what it is. Spending more time and energy to solve it, quote unquote, to rehearse all the possibilities that you could have done differently, it's not going to help us, not even in the future. But how do we turn that into a gift 
an opportunity, which you did. And you even said that was becoming the best summer of your life. So in that moment, what made that switch? So my story should not be viewed as a linear line. So like, let's say I was here in college and my dad died. And this is where I am in my career, my life, and just growing up for that matter. It's not like this. It's not like this. It was like this. All right. It was like that. That summer made me realize I did not want to be a doctor. I did not want to go into medicine. I decided that that was something my father wanted. And if now that he was gone, my mom was sick and, you know, she was more like, you can do whatever you want as long as you take care of me. You don't have to be a doctor. Just live your life um, before you, you know, get sick yourself. Um, She got Parkinson's because she was on a lot of antidepressants from marrying really, really early whatever the reason may be is um, she hadn't when I was, she was really, really young. I'm not sure if it was planned. And, you know, that's, you can now have an idea what my childhood was like. It was not kept a secret from me. And growing up with that, she ended up developing Parkinsonism from all the side effects of taking antidepressants at that time, you know, more than 10, 15 years ago. So uh, she was like, you have to live your life. And I was like, you know what? I will. And actually my grades plummeted. I decided not to become a pre-med, but at that time, my, my dad died. I was already halfway through college. So I already kind of finished all my pre-med requirements. You know, I am grateful to my father and my mother for actually instilling me in the discipline of at least putting me on a path that they thought with good intentions what I was meant to do. But it wasn't my love language. It wasn't something that was coming from me. And I was finally needed to do something that was coming from me. And in the next two years of college, I became a really bad student. I rather, you know, devote all my energies in becoming vice president of my class and you know, president of the Asian American Alliance and doing all my social justice work, that was more worthwhile to me. That was more of an investment in college, not a number or GPA. I don't want to be a slave to numbers. And that's what, that's what I always told myself. Like, I'd rather invest in people. I'd rather read people. And I also thought I would never travel. I hated the idea of travel. My dad loved traveling. I thought traveling was stupid. Uh, I was born and raised in New York City. The whole world comes to me. What's the point of spending so much money uh, if the whole world comes to New York where I can live? If I want to go to Korea, I go to Koreatown. If I want to go to China, I go to Chinatown. If I want to go to Uzbekistan, I go to like Coney Island and have Uzbekish food. It's just like, that's that was my attitude. I was a child, immature. And and I accepted that. And I was like, you know, let me enjoy it and commit to the president, even if the president had no direction. And I was happy with that because finally, for the first time in my life, I felt free. It was scary. Don't get me wrong. I was constantly had anxiety of like, what am I meant to do? What am I meant to do? And the whole time was like, you have no idea. So what makes you think that you even know what you're meant to do if you don't even know yourself? And then it was the two years after college where I became a bartender and I was actually really happy. And then my uh, brother was helping him move. He was just like, is this all you want to do with your life? And I was like, yeah, being a bartender is great. I had a birthday party. The DJ didn't show up. So I became the own DJ because I had to like save my own 21st birthday party. I love DJing. So I was like, I'll be a DJ. Uh, The MTV thing was really fun. They fed me with free pizza every week in college. Didn't pay us anything. But that was a pool that I was like, maybe I'll do entertainment. I had a camera, my dad's video camera. So I make movies. I could do movies. I was doing everything. I was throwing shit at the wall and everything was sticking. And I was like, this is is fine. Uh, And I was making money as a bartender. It wasn't until I lost a bet uh, while bartending to this girl that never quite left the bar. We chatted, we chatted, we chatted. And 36, 72 hours, something like like within one or two days, I found myself in Egypt with her after losing a bet. The bet was that she asked me to come to Egypt with her. And I was like, oh, I'll go if tickets are under like $700. It was like 2000 at the time. I had two other friends also going. And they're also like, you have to come, you have to come. And there's this girl I just met. And it was like the story. It was the emotion. Even though I hated travel, the idea of traveling, 
even though I knew it was not the right thing to do, the emotion is what makes the decision. And lo and behold, a couple hours later, I checked my phone and tickets dropped from $2,650 to $650 round trip. Like literally at last minute, you know, you've seen that happen when flights is, you know, boom, like two hours before the flight, people have heard that. And I happened to do it. And I'm a man of my word. I work on emotions, but I also do not flake on my promises. Even if I don't like the idea of travel, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I don't ever want to live my life uh, not committing to myself. So 72 hours later, I found myself in Egypt, ended up being alone for the next three weeks. Uh, she had to leave early, but we had our first date there. I mean, it was great. We're no longer together, but uh, it was we we you know it was a good relationship after the fact. I was having our first date in Cairo has some lasting uh, promises, less has some uh, staying power. But I ended up being three weeks alone in Egypt, and when I came back, I was like, I get it. This is why people love traveling. It was the first time in my life where I was truly alone. Alone. I was alone in the summer of 2006 when my dad died. I felt alone, but I was surrounded by a family of friends. This French girl, no, my friend Amelia, like, saved my life pretty much. She came in to visit New York and took care of me. Like I wasn't, but I never had a space where I was like truly physically alone, where I was in a place where I didn't know anyone, nobody knew me. And the only person I could talk to and rely on was myself because I didn't speak the language. I couldn't even understand TV or the billboards because it was in a foreign language. And I came back and I was like, okay, I'm getting it. I'm starting on this path of start trusting myself rather than relying on what other people are telling me. You should do this. You should do that. Have you done that? My brother's saying, you haven't thought about the medicine. So then I realized in that thought to myself, I was like, what if I'm actually meant to be a doctor this whole time? And by me refusing to be a doctor or refusing medicine, that's actually me giving in to my dad. I'm rebelling against my dad for the rest of my life. Then I'm not doing something because of my dad. Then he still has influence on me for the rest of my life. And I don't ever want to look back on my life on my deathbed saying, oh, I could have been a doctor. But at the same time, if I did become a doctor, I probably felt like I gave into my dad the other way. Like I actually literally directly, the obvious one gave it to my dad. And maybe I was being a doctor because I felt guilty. So I was back and forth. Both seemed equally poisonous. Both seemed equally, you know, just didn't come from me. So which is the right answer? But because of the Egypt story where I was like, you know, I don't like traveling, but I had to create this bet. And if I lose it, I'll have to go. The next step was to apply to every single medical school with like a 3.0 GPA with a C plus in biochemistry, B minus, and or C plus in physical chemistry, B minus in orgo. Like I, my hope was to fly everywhere in every med school that I would go to, like 26, 30 schools, get rejected everywhere, check that box off and have my Oprah story and be like, I'm done. I'm not meant to be a doctor. I can now travel the world. This is what I'm meant to do. I'm supposed to be a travel blog, but I need to just scratch that itch just to be sure. And I was very honest in my application. I told them, you know, my insecurities and, you know, it was kind of like office space, the movie where the more honest you are, the more you get rewarded. Office space is a movie where the guy's like, you know, I'm overqualified for my job or like I'm underqualified for my job. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't really do anything. And he ends up getting promoted instead of fired. Uh, I told the med school, like, I don't know if I'm meant to be a doctor. I, I am interested. I'm curious. It came, could come from my hands, could come from me. I had this trip in Egypt and they're like, you are a real, I like when I was reading your application, I felt like I was met you. You're a real person. And then October of 2010, I opened the mail and I got into medical school. I'm sorry, October 2009. And I was like, shit, I have to go. So the next part of the bet was if I were to get in, this is an opportunity most people would kill for. I do not want to take this for granted. I don't want to disrespect the institution of medicine. I'm not going to give up on this. If somebody believes in me more than I believe in myself, I have to listen to that. So I, the next part of that, if I were to get in, shoot the moon kind of scenario, which actually happened, 
I will stay and commit to that medical school, but I will not quit all the other things in my life that made me happy. So I wouldn't quit traveling. I wouldn't quit my social justice work. I would still stay on as the alumni president at Columbia. I would still stay on as the director of ICASU and still Barton. And then over the course of medical school, I ended up like, I wasn't a really good student because I was traveling all the time. I would travel about like, you know, four to six, eight times a year, every three weeks, even for a period uh, where I was studying the airplane. I would leave for, like on Friday to Hong Kong from New York, stay in Hong Kong for 20 hours just because the flights was like $400 and then come back Sunday night and take a test. I actually would remember the material really well because I was studying the airplane and re- recall things, you know, because it was so dramatically different from like a cafe all day or my room all day. But I got by barely. And every time I almost failed out in med school, pull me back in and say, you know what? We believe in you. You might not get into residency because they have different parameters, but at least we can try to get you to graduate because I didn't fail. I was, I was just on the fence. I had like a 67.56 average, which rounds up to the 68, which is passing. But when it came to applying to residency, again, I was honest. I've, I've traveled to 70 countries at this point during medical school. That parked up your eyes. I had the department of chair of medicine, SUNY Downstate, Dr. Salafu, he looked at my application, looked at my terrible grades, and then looked at what I did during med school. And he actually told me, you remind me of me. How do I become the chair of medicine? It wasn't because I was a great student. I was the best and smartest person. It was I know how to talk to people. I know how to talk to patients. And I know how to deal with staff. And you are that person. You are president of your class. You travel to all these places while dedicated to class. You got wireless in the lecture hall. You throw parties every three weeks for your class so they don't burn out. Like, you can do it. I believe in you and I want to vouch for you and I want to endorse you for residency. And that's what got me all these interviews. And when it came to interviews, they were like, we like these recommendation letters. We like you, but we don't know if you can do it as a a doctor. It doesn't seem like you're very focused. Why do you want to be a doctor? And because I didn't give up all the other things, I would not give up anything, including bartending. I told the person who interviewed me, emergency medicine, the one I was applying for, is the closest thing to bartending I could think of. The reason why I chose emergency medicine is because while I work as a bartender still is like when I work in the ER. That's why I chose it, where you're behind a bar of alcohol. You're also behind a bar of computers in the ER. You never know who's going to come in. You got to move as fast as possible, taking care of everyone in a short amount of time. You got to make every customer or patient love you in the five minutes you have with them. And hopefully if you do it right, they don't have to ever come back in there. You have the same kind of patients, the belligerent, the drunk, the down and out, the people who are there to go to ER, maybe it's not a medical problem. It's not about what they're coming in for, but why are they coming in for it? You know, it's, it's one thing I'm coming with low blood sugar, but why is their blood sugar low? Is it they're, they're trying to kill themselves? Is it they don't understand their medicine really well? Like you can trick their blood sugar and send them home. They might just come back dead because you didn't actually get to the bottom of why. And that's the same thing as bartending. Why are you here? You're just not here for a drink. Is it a birthday party? Is it somebody dump you? Is it something where you reach them in the way that they are able to connect? And you know when to set high boundaries. When someone steps behind my bar, I throw them out. If you step behind my bar computers and attack my nurses, I'm throwing you out. And they said that was the best damn answer they ever heard to that question. Nobody else understands emergency medicine like you just did. You got the job. It was very interesting that I like just by being as honest as possible, even of my insecurities, got me to where I am today. I never expected to travel, and here I am, you know, leading a travel blog. I never expected to become a doctor, but here I am. And it's not about, again, when we talk about ER, it's not about what you become or what you come in for. It's the why. And if I don't know why, then it's the how. It's the how that matters. I still became, so I started here when my dad died. 
and now I'm here in my career and looking back on things, I could have just studied really hard and became a doctor. And I still would be the same person here. But I wouldn't be here sitting in front of you right now talking to you. You wouldn't have took notice of me. I wouldn't have never traveled to any countries. I wouldn't have any idea of mental health. I would just become a doctor with nothing, no stories. Now, that's not my life. I'm a doctor, the same kind of doctor, but not my father's doctor, not Asian America's you know, stereotypical doctor. I'm my own kind of doctor where I can look back and look at a lifetime, 10 years. It's been 10 years since that decision of 150 countries that I've been to in the last, 190. I've been to 190 countries in the last 10 years while I was a full-time medical student as a resident without skipping a day of class, without spending any much money. And now with thousands of people who come on my trips, and now here I am talking to you about committing to the present. And this is a guy that doesn't know what he's doing five minutes from now. It's okay. And I just want to conclude, this is not for the people out there who know exactly what they want to do. If you know that you want to be a doctor, good for you. This is not for you. I'm happy for you. I don't want to change that. But if you're out there not sure what you're supposed to do, that's pandemic through your life and for a tizzy, and you don't have any guidance, you don't know what you're supposed to do, you feel anxious, at least let my story to be some kind of reminder to you that there are other people like you out there and it's okay to be not okay. You know, it's okay to not to know. Sometimes committing to the present is all you need to do, right? It, there's a, people out there who have dreams and I'm telling you, forget your dreams, fuck your dreams. As you said, Sabrina, if you constantly think about what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to do, dreams, 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 you forget about committing to the present. You have no building blocks and the foundation to get to your dreams. And then, and then you miss all the opportunities that present themselves in the moment, in the present, because you're always looking up there when you're not even appreciating what's here already in front of you under your nose this whole time because you're looking at what you're supposed to do when the, all the things that you're supposed to be right now is right in front of you that's so easy to attain. And once you get that, then you, it's a war of attrition. And then it builds up to there. And you know what? If even let's say you attain your dreams and you become the, exactly the person you dream to be, how boring of a story is that? That is so boring. I did this. I planned this. And I did, everything exactly happened the way it's supposed to happen. That's not how life works. Life is a catastrophe and a tapestry of beautiful messes and accidents, serendipities that bring you to who you are, the beautiful mess that makes life worth living, the surprises of all. And I want to keep that in my life, at least the magic of the universe. You know, not really know for sure, but know that in the event whatever happens, I can trust myself because I, again, I trust myself and I have made a habit of always being comfortable with the uncomfortable. But that took me a few years. Right. And then a lot of people are how to understand. It's not that easy to just say, hey, I flip a switch. I can just be uncomfortable about the situation logically and turn around, just be comfortable. It's not something we can just all do. And that's something we rather you experience or train your brain to do that. And that's why like, I talk a lot on how do we neuromodulate, right? Like you have different tools from anything from sensory highlighting, shutting down your prefrontal cortex of going crazy thought, right? And for, you know, Kevin, you even talk about so much on like, the unknown, the I'm not sure exactly what's my purpose. So I'm going to throw a bunch of things on the wall, see what sticks. And things like as film, photographer, activism, things that are actually intriguing more of what you want to do in life. And people are impressed with that because a lot of people, as you're saying, I have to debate a little bit, they do have that dream, but they're not activating out on those empowerment stage of themselves. They're just thinking about it. There's not much of a committing to me. If I've decided this is what I want, I'm going to figure out how to fit it into my life. That's what your story has been telling everyone from 
being in med school, still keeping up. Yes, your grade might not be as high as other people, but you are able to maintain everything that you want to do in your life while simultaneously, what I say, stop thinking about creating all these harm balance in your life. It's so hard. But if you just tap into the harmony side of you, knowing these little components are puzzle pieces in your life. So you don't have to be super high level feeling like only if I'm the director, only if I have this promotion, only if I'm someone that I'm satisfied with who I am. But knowing that all the little component of the progress that you're making every day is what you're happy about, right? If we continue to chase that end goal, it's going to be difficult, but it helps us to have some kind of vision, some kind of guidance in life. But we need to be very flexible on what we're doing each day. So it makes us to choose to be happy, choose to be satisfied, choose to feel like I have some kind of purpose. I'm not just wandering out doing nothing, um, but it doesn't have to be so fixed that we start regressing into, oh my gosh, I spent all these years doing all this stuff. What does that really mean to me? And you give people that idea of, it's not to say everyone needs to travel more, but do you love it? If you don't know if you love it, do you even give yourself that chance of trying something new? Can you open up that empowerment state of you to be more exploratory, to be more innovative in your circle? So then you can be someone who truly lived, right? And at the end of the day, can you bring that vibrancy to yourself, to others? Did you actually live? Right? Like, what does it mean to have all these careers and letters behind our name if by the end we reflect on the back? It's a big question mark of what the heck just happened. So it's awesome for you to share that. It doesn't matter that we're so clear. And the, yes, the more clear we are, the higher, more focused you are to get there. But when you're not clear, you don't have to feel bad about not being clear. We can still have these progression to help you to get to that point. You know, the biggest thing sometimes when we're chasing what we wanted, is it truly what you wanted? or is someone else's influence of this bubble that we created. And many people in medicine start to want to really break away to have more freedom, right? Not working with a large hospital system who cookie cutter telling you exactly what to do, five ways through bureaucracy, start going into more local or creating your own private practice. But the same mindset has to be in there. Stop feeling like you have to wear multiple hats just to chase that freedom. And then we got caught up by doing so much things again. And is that all this stuff that you're doing truly reflecting on what you wanted to be or are you enjoying it just right now? And if that's a check mark, say, yes, this is what I enjoy and this is what I'm good at. I'm satisfied. Then yes, you're living in your totally desire zone. But most people who I work with, I help becomes oh yeah, this might be things I like, but I'm not really good at. So then they spend so much time wasting, right? Try to perfect their results and whatnot, and then start judging themselves for not getting where they need to go. Or they're working on things that they truly have a talent for, it come easy to them, but they have no interest in doing, right? Some of the stuff we do, even just review papers, right? Like, yeah, we need to improve our practice in some way. But if it's not something you like to do, even it's easy, then eventually we're going to feel like losing that momentum, procrastinate. 
And then there are a lot of people have no check mark on anything that they like, right? Then I'm like, wow, that's the dead zone. That's why you're not making any progress and you still feel like it's exhausted all the time. So be sure to take a moment, reflect, and be honest with ourselves. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that we always make the right choices, right? Like Kevin went through all this stuff, right? Does that mean that every single thing is perfect? No. Like from people who know me, I'm like, I'm the opposite of him. I was the one who knows everything I wanted. I just chased for it, get all the degrees all the way, and I just went for it. But once I got to the point where I was high functioning, I realizing I can't sustain it. Hey, and then so you have these different stories coming at you. You don't have to be molded into one person's past. We needed to mold it into our own path. And that's why I asked all my speakers, do a quick reflection, right? Where are we in our lives? And just so we know, self-determination theory told us if we're more aware of our intrinsic value, our drive, our motivation, right? What Kevin's saying about your why. And then we become more persistent, more resilient, and perform higher level. So when you took that quick three-minute assessment, what did you thought about? No, I think it took it so long ago, but you know, I, I felt gratitude. I was very happy with like how my life has turned out. And I actually felt very grateful that I was very comfortable and confident in my answers. Like wasn't trying. And you know, I, I think that not knowing and being comfortable, not knowing anything, the idea that the most confident person is the one who's confident to say, I don't know, is what led me to really deep, 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 dive deep and realize that self-esteem is bullshit. I think self-esteem is just total crap. It actually drives more mental health anxiety and issues. What's more, what we should do instead of self-esteem is self-forgiveness that you should always try different things, try it out. If it doesn't work out, great. You know, as long as you're not hurting anyone, forgive yourself, love yourself. The whole aspect of loving yourself is forgiving and caring for yourself. And even someone even realizes that even taking care of yourself, forgiving yourself is a radical act, a form of activism in a society that actually beats you down if you don't get things right, if you're not super specialized. I am far from perfect, far, far from perfect. My hands are filthy, We're making mistakes over and over and over and over again. Uh, I try to do things right and understand that other people judge themselves by their intentions and others by their behavior. Uh, it's very convenient, isn't it? But like, I always try to do reconcile the intentions with my behaviors. And that's something that I learn over time by, you know, forgiving myself over and over and over again without trying to hurt anyone else in that path of learning. And we always have to, if we can just forgive ourselves, then it becomes easier to love others, to forgive others. The heart is not a box. Once you love yourself, the heart opens up. And so when I took your reassessment survey, it was just full of just like love for myself and love for others. And when I checked all those things, it's like, man, like it, my answers would be completely different 10, 12 years ago. Had my dad not died, had my mom not got sick, had my girlfriend not broke over at my dad's funeral, or tr had I not traveled, or had I not met that girl at the bar that led me to Egypt. Like these are all little things that happened that when people listen to it in the beginning or when they were there in the moment, they're like, Bad, bad, negative, 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 bad, bad, bad. You know, don't you go meet, gonna go to Egypt with a girl you just met? Like, that's not safe. You're gonna, you know, your, your girlfriend breaks up with you, the dad's funeral. You know, that's not great. Your dad dies after an argument. How guilty must you feel if you didn't argue with him? Like, these are all things that you can, you know, reframe. Your mom got sick because she was depressed of having you. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe you're a terrible child growing up. These are all things where I can reframe the situation if I wanna be in a bad place. It's a choice. But I choose not to think that. It is not my fault, me growing up as a three-year-old, to know why my mom regret, you know, just may have regretted having me or was stressed out having me when she was 22, 21. 
You know, it's not my fault. To, I have to love myself to understand that it's not my fault. Even if my mom says that to my face when I'm growing up, it's not my fault that I was supposed to know that my dad chose to get on a treadmill after we had argued about me going to medical school when I generally did not want to go to medical school at the time. You know, it's a choice. And it's, it goes back to what David Foster Wallace wrote in his essay, This is Water. What separates animals from humans is that we get to choose what to worship. Emotions are emotions. I can feel fear. I can feel anger. I can feel happiness. I can't control for that. If I'm angry, I'm angry. I can, but it's, it's not about the feeling. It's the meaning behind the feeling, what you do with that feeling. If I'm angry, I can choose to hurt people, or I can choose to take that anger and reframe it as a sign that I'm actually passionate about a certain issue, or there's something about myself I don't like that I can reframe and alter a little bit. So that I don't hurt other people and then actually become better or just repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again until I wake up and get better and stop being angry about it. it or, you know, the exposure technique without hurting other people, the, the intention and behavior have been reconciled. But it's kind of like brushing your teeth and eating vegetables. You know, it's no, some people don't like it. Some people, I mean, I, after a night of drinking, I hate brushing my teeth. I just want to go straight to bed. But if you make it a habit to access your brain and you change it, mold it, or I, you had said a word, I really liked it. Um, you had said it like about five minutes ago. It, you, once you turn that into habit, you pretty much trade your brain and you will always, and that's like a life hack. You'll never get yourself, or rarely if ever will get yourself in trouble. Even if you run yourself into a, an issue or a problem, you've created a habit to always make sure you love yourself, forgive yourself and move on without having to hurt other people. It's not about option A or option B. There is such thing as option C. You can have both. It takes a little harder effort to look for it, but that harder effort may be worth it. Yeah, exactly. It's about us, everything I talk about. Yes, why do we want to save more time and actually get more achieved? Because then we can truly live into that double win. Uh, that time is limited, is arbitrary in some way. But if you don't know what to direct, how do you feel about what you have in the present and where you want to go, then everything seems to be chaotic instead of how do we do things more effectively and live into every single aspect of our life so we truly enjoy it, truly have no regret to things? And just like what Kevin had mentioned, yes, it's a choice, right? Like the in positive psychology, we know the number one sabotaging tendency is judgment. We're constantly critiquing us feeling like, oh, it helped us, right? Like if I, we put ourselves into such a high standard, that means that we push ourselves, we're going, we, at least we motivate ourselves in some way. But your willpower is so short-lived. And it is important for what he mentioned is self-forgiveness. And in positive psychology, we know the five stages of empowerment. One of them is empathy. It's not so much a giving empathy, understanding what other people, but it's receiving. We can't be in a place where we always feel like we're serving, we're doing, we're giving but not knowing how to allow opportunity to come back to us. Now, understanding every single choice, we don't have to do it right. And that's not really life goal it's to do it right. And even right is very subjective. It's, it's never like a set way to do anything right. So it's okay to choose and then reassess because you can be resourceful in the way that you do things figure things out and allow yourself to feel that empathy, feel that forgiveness, feel that it's okay. Even though I accomplished 80% what I did, the extra 20%, hey, I can do it tomorrow. I can do it a later day. Maybe those extra 20% is not even a priority to me. That's why I didn't even ever tap into that. 
So we are so thankful for you to be here to talk about these things about being in medicine. It's not just creating something as a life goal and that's it. Right, a life has so many different components. No matter what other interests you have, you can all add together that form this harmony for you to be in a place that you just simply be okay, be joyful, and choose the path that you want to go. And even though, just like Dr. Sun's path zigzag, right, it's not a, never a linear from point A to point Z. It's going to a different winding path, and even that is okay. Be able to sit comfortable. For having these sidetracks, but knowing that at some point you bring yourself in, you're pulling yourself back into a good place, not constantly pushing, pushing, pushing. Right? That's just so hard on our physical body, our mind, and then just take us away from all the things that you wanted in life. So we appreciate you. Where do you want people to find you? I know you have so many good stuff, and then we connect on Instagram. And also the Asian Hustle Network. So, where can people really find you to get to know more of your work and your amazing interests? Yeah, I can be found through multiple modalities, whatever you like. I mean, you can find me on Facebook. It's my name, Calvin D. Sun. So, Facebook.com/slash Calvin D. Sun. I have a big Instagram presence.、Uh, again, not something I planned out. It's just the world chose to follow me more on Instagram, even though I had invested more as a Facebook generation. So my Instagram is Monsoon Diaries, M O N S O O N D I A R I E S. It's Monsoon, like Monsoon Wedding, the weather pattern, and diaries, like you know the motorcycle diaries. Monsoon Diaries is in my Instagram. That's where I do most of my posts now because the audience wants in terms of COVID and traveling, and it's more direct and immediate. But I still post on my Facebook. And then if you want to, you know, more conventional, want a website, MonsoonDiaries.com. If you want to do more of a medicine side instead of travel. It'll be calvindsun.com. I do have a website now set up for like public speaking and you know non-travel related stuff. Monsoon Diaries is more of a travel lens and COVID lens, but、uh, if general things past the pandemic, I have I realize I need to be a little more again throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. But anyway, or or you can just message DM me in whatever modality. I respond to everything. Amazing, right? Like even him at his、uh, career and life right now, he's still trying to discover, figure out, right? Just like uh,、yeah. uh, all of us, we're not saying, "Hey, we got this. We're set." We're continuing to modify, see what the world wants,、uh, what the gap that we can fill, and then just start living, right? And we appreciate you being here. We appreciate everyone listening.、Uh, whether you are listening on our podcast, all the things that he shared with you will be in the show notes. And if you have watched this、um, Facebook Live, we thank you for being here and spending some time with us. And please、uh, leave us a comment on iTunes and、um, to see what the things that you love most about this episode and what other things you want to hear from us. Of course, if for anybody who wanted to take that assessment that Dr. Sun did, you can go to sabrinarunback.com/forward/slash/assessment. Until next Thursday, bye bye. Thank you. All right, my friend. How did you love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can continue to build your positive intelligence for that beautiful mind of yours to live powerfully and passionate. I know this just the tip of the iceberg. You probably have a lot more question on actually how do I implement those things into my own life. Well, this is the solution. Joining us inside. The private Facebook group. Go to Facebook 
facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash powerful passionate where I go live weekly to answer any questions that you have and continue to put more resources for you to help you to get to that point. You can be both powerful and passionate where you're no longer working on any mundane work and truly focusing on the things that matter. You can be both powerful and passionate where you can overcome any mental roadblocks keeping you from success. You can be both powerful and passionate where you feel energized from the moment you woke up to the time you go to bed. Join me and together we can create a life where you can be both powerful and passionate.